The last decade has been the hottest on record. We are facing an environmental crisis that is putting humans, animals, and ecosystems at risk. We're two journalists from opposite sides of the world. Listen as we discuss current climate issues, bring to the front scene interesting people, and offer you information on how to face the crisis the world is facing. You're listening to Four Corners, a podcast about environmental issues. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 10th episode of Four Corners. So my name is Charlotte Glorieux, and I'm a journalist from Montreal, Canada. And my name is Fernanda Gandara. I am a half Guatemalan, half Chilean journalist. So in the previous episode, we spoke about the psychological effects of climate change with an expert on the topic, Dr. Suzanne Clayton. And this week, we're talking about fashion and more specifically, sustainable fashion. We have the pleasure of introducing you to our guest, Alison Quinn. She is the founder of the Lero Collective, an emerging platform based in the UK that seeks to provide information on sustainable fashion. We're very pleased to have you today with us, Alison. Thank you so much for accepting uh, this invitation. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really exciting. This is my first podcast, so I'm really excited to be here. To get us started, could you tell us uh, a bit about yourself and like where you grew up? Sure. So I'm American. I grew up in Boston, but I've been in the UK for the last six years now. So I went to St. Andrews University in Scotland and then I moved down to London and I'm currently working as a management consultant. So basically helping companies to drive efficiencies um, and make improvements wherever possible. Um, And to get us started on the topic of today. Could you tell us about your relation with fashion? Sure, yeah. So I think my relationship with fashion has changed over the years um, and I'm hoping will continue to change. So sustainable fashion is something that I've always kind of been interested in, but I didn't quite have the language to say that it was sustainable fashion. So even when I was younger, I would love going thrift shopping, going to secondhand stores. Um, And when I was 13 years old, me and my best friend would go there and we'd try on all these fun, funky clothes, um, kind of like the scene from Wild Child, if you can picture it. But I think from that to now, I've learned about sustainable fashion, especially over lockdown. I was kind of drawn even more towards it, um, particularly because of my interest in other areas of sustainability. So for example, with the foods that we eat. So I became pescatarian a couple years ago, and then after that became vegetarian, and I'm now kind of slowly transferring off of meat products. Um, So it's all kind of in an effort to become more sustainable and all that way of life. What would you say to someone who wants to start Uh, specifically having a more sustainable approach towards fashion? What would be like some basic advice? Yeah, Yeah, so a couple different things. The first thing would be just to slow down consumption if possible. So just to take a step back and think about what you're buying. And the fact of the matter is, is that fast fashion, slow fashion, sustainable fashion, it all has a carbon footprint. So really, do you need to be buying anything at all? The other thing um, is that people can be aware of what information they're taking in. So are you following influencers? Are you following big fast fashion brands? And how can you slowly shift away from those things onto more um, inclusive and informative platforms? 
also just engaging in those conversations as well. So bringing other people into those conversations. And if you know that someone's interested in sustainable fashion or sustainability, asking those questions, even if they might seem silly initially, like what is fast fashion? What is sustainable fashion? How can I make a difference? And being open-minded to those things. Mm -hmm, definitely. And you spoke about the carbon footprint of fashion. We wanted to ask you, what are the main problems that you see in the fashion sector today? There are a lot of problems. <laughs> so one of them is around the carbon emissions, as you mentioned. So the fashion industry currently produces 10% of all carbon emissions, and it's the second largest consumer of water supply. But in addition to the issues around the water supply, there's also problems with pollution, specifically of water. So textile dyeing is the world's second largest polluter of water. Um, since the water left over from the dyeing process is often dumped into ditches, streams and rivers. So that's clearly a huge issue. But then in addition to that, there's also um, all of the waste that comes from the manufacturing process. So offcuts, um, which are the, the pieces of fabric which aren't being used to actually produce the garments. And then microfibers, which are the tiny pieces of fabrics which get into the water after you've already purchased it. So just from washing the materials, um, which is a huge problem as well. So the fashion industry overall is responsible for 20% of all industrial water pollution worldwide. And I think that these are just important facts to keep in mind so that you're able to even conceptualize the scale of the problem with the fashion industry, with overconsumption and then with overproduction as well. So where does your love for fashion come from? I think it probably started with my grandmother and that's because I was the youngest grandchild and the only female grandchild and so she just loved dressing me up. So I'd go over to her house um, and she was a seamstress as well. So sometimes she'd make clothes um, and that was just a passion of hers. So I think from that, I learned not only that fashion can be really cool and a great way of expressing yourself, but also the value of it, especially because if you're making your own clothes, then it's just such an investment that goes in and you have to really think through and curate exactly what you want your closet to look like, what you need. There's a lot of preparation that goes into it. So I think that's where my interest in fashion started and where I realized that it is just such a cool way to express yourself, um, both your values and then also your style. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you're American. Do you notice like kind of a difference um, in the world of sustainable fashion between the United States and the UK? That's a good question. So to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure. And that's because I haven't lived in the US for the last six years. And that's, I think, when the sustainable fashion has really grown and uh, blown up a bit. But I would say that just from what I've seen, there seems to be more of an emphasis on sustainable fashion in the US just because um, there are a lot more platforms that are selling sustainable clothing. Um, it's in the news a bit more and the big companies tend to be based out of the US. So, you know, them making those pledges is a lot more advertised there. Do you have a favorite item when you shop? I do have a couple specific pieces. I'm not sure if it's the same with you both, but I tend to wear the same things over and over again. And that's especially been true during lockdown. So when the lockdown first started in the UK, 
me and my boyfriend just packed a small suitcase and we decided that we were going to go to Bath, which is another town in the UK because his family had a house there and we were lucky enough to be able to stay. And I only had a couple pair of trousers, um, a couple sweatshirts, a couple tops. Um, and then I just wore those things for, for months on end. Um, and I thought that I'd need more, but those really became my kind of go-to pieces. Another thing that I love is just discovering new things in my own closet. Um, because it really is true that, you know, the most sustainable item of clothing is the one that you already have. So just digging through, finding things that maybe I hadn't seen in a while and then pulling those out and they become, you know, my new go-to piece. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking of like having a limited uh, amount of clothing item, have you heard of the term um, capsule wardrobe? The fact of like having, you know, let's say, I don't know, 10 items that you like kind of rotate. Um, would you say that's kind of what was your case uh, during lockdown? Yeah, I, I would say that's true. So that kind of wound up happening and it wasn't by design at all. It was just because I had the small bag and I had to pick a few things to bring. And I think that it is really clever, especially if you know, you've just changed sizes or you're looking to, I don't know, recreate yourself, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And you're generating a new closet. But the thing is that if you already own clothes, it's not very sustainable to get rid of what you already have because you can continue wearing those things. You can redesign them. You can upcycle them. Um, you can give them to a friend. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend clearing out your closet to create a kind of capsule closet, but yeah. it is useful if, if you know, you're starting fresh. Just to define a term you use, upcycling, what, what would you say that is? Yeah, so that's where you take a piece of clothing and then you redesign it. So it turns into something else. Um, so it could just be that um, you add a new design to it. So painting jeans has been quite popular recently or embroidering different pieces of, um, pieces of clothing. Or it could be that you take an item and then you just use it for the fabric and you create it into something else. That's really cool. And talking about things that you can do to be more sustainable, what are some things that you do to be more sustainable when either when you shop for clothes or in your day to day with fashion? Well, the first thing that I do is that I try to think about whether I actually need the item that I have the impulse to buy. And I think it's really easy when I'm scrolling on Instagram or, um, you know, seeing influencers that I just want to immediately buy that item. And then it's about taking the step back and thinking, do I actually want this? Does this fit my closet? Will I wear it many times? Or do I just want something to track in the mail? <laughs> or do I just want that immediate dopamine hit? And it's really about pulling it back um, and thinking about what's the impact for yourself and what's the impact for the environment. And I think that there's a really useful framework to be able to do this. And it's the 30 wears rule. So the idea is that you need to wear something 30 times in order for it to really be valuable and to be worth buying. And to me, 30 times doesn't feel like it's that much, but um, if you're wearing it once a week, then that means that you need to wear it for seven months once a week in order for it to actually be worn 30 times. So it is a bit of a commitment. Um, and the point is just that you're viewing your clothes more as an investment and a long-term commitment rather than a one-off thing that you're going to wear to one party or to one event um, and that you're really, you know, curating that closet and making sure that you're doing what's best for yourself, but also for the environment. Mm -hmm. You mentioned influencers and talking about that. Do you have an inspiration or a role model when it comes to sustainable fashion? Yeah, sure. So 
I think there are a lot of really cool influencers out there right now who are targeting sustainable fashion and are focusing on, on new ways that you can do that. And someone that I went to St. Andrews with actually started a sustainable fashion Instagram. And I thought that that was just the coolest thing. Um, and it's specifically around kind of her and her wardrobe and how she goes about it and approaches sustainable fashion. And she did her dissertation on it. So she's really knowledgeable in the area. So her name is Indigo Jones, just to, you know, insert a little plug for her. Um, but, but I think that that's great. Um, and also I think that other influencers who um, maybe are more focused on the newest trends or things like that are still making efforts to move in a more sustainable direction. So targeting rental platforms, um, specifically bag rental platforms, um, so that people who are following them can still, you know, get in on it on some level but are doing it in a more sustainable way and again it's about those incremental changes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just kind of jumping into the whole social media world <laughs> let's talk about the Lero collective could you tell us a little bit about your motivation for starting this initiative sure so when i began being really interested in sustainable fashion I found it to be quite an overwhelming topic just because there's so much out there, there's so much information and it seems like it's hard in order to kind of take a first step towards helping improve your own consumption um, and even just learning about the different issues that are covered by sustainable fashion. It's just a huge topic. Um, and I thought that it would be really useful for my own understanding, but also for other people's understanding in order to break down the problems into bite-sized pieces and then offer up solutions so that people know what they can do in order to educate themselves or in order to drive the conversation forward a bit. So the idea really is to insert a bit of a pause and a bit of a learning opportunity for people to hopefully change their purchasing habits um, or at least get them to think about it a bit more. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really interesting because we kind of have the same thought process. <laughs> and I kind of just want to talk about like how the power of social media can be used um, positively when, when, for example, sharing information like you're doing. Of course, social media is such a great tool. And I think that's been picked up by a lot of the big brands and a lot of the fast fashion companies, but it can equally be picked up and it has equally been picked up by sustainable fashion and slow fashion activists and advocates. And I think we've seen that with a couple of the bigger platforms like Fashion Revolution, which has driven forward sustainability and has actually changed the way that companies report on different metrics and how people perceive companies. So if we're all working together and if we're all uh, conscious of the same goals and slowly making improvements in order to achieve those goals, then we'll have a lot more of an impact than if we're just working independently. And social media is a really good way to involve people and invite people to join the conversation. And also just on a broader scale, the thing is that governments and brands won't change how they're approaching things unless the people are actually making them and are saying that that's something that they want and it's informing their consumption and their buying decisions. And that's just because fast fashion is such a profitable industry that it's, it's working for them um, and they've chosen that for a reason. So it's up to us as people to work together to share information and resources and to decide that it is important enough to us that they're going to have to do something to address it. 
And we talked a little bit about how your love to fashion started, which was with your grandmother and all that. But how did you start researching or learning about uh, sustainable fashion? Was there like an event that happened that made you shift your understanding on fashion? It was probably around Christmas this last year that I really became aware of the need for sustainable fashion and really became interested in it. And that was because I decided that I wasn't going to shop on Amazon and I wasn't going to buy anything that wasn't sustainable. And I wasn't really doing that previously. And that's because um, I'd usually get activities. So it would be like concert tickets, um, you know, to go somewhere, to go ice skating, something like that. But obviously that was not really an option this year. So my classic, you know, go-to was taken away. And then I started researching all these sustainable fashion brands and trying to find something which was good for, you know, every member of my family in the sustainable realm. And I realized that it was a lot more complicated than I had originally realized and that there are a lot of different aspects that feed into sustainable fashion. So it's not just like a company or an item can tick a couple of boxes and then, yep, that's sustainable. There are so many different dynamics to look at. And I think that's what got me interested in it. And then from there, I went on to Fashion Revolution, which I mentioned is driving forward um, transparency and other indicators of um, sustainability and ethics in the kind of garment and manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. And what would you say was the, the reaction, I'm curious, of the, the members of your family to your sustainable um, presence? <laughs> So they're my family members. So of course, they're going to make fun of me slightly. They were generally supportive and generally um, encouraging of, of me being more interested in this. Um, but I think it's easy to call out specific areas where you're not sustainable. So this is, I mean, this is my brother that I'm referring to specifically, but I think his comment was something like, oh, what about all the flights that you take? That's not sustainable. Like, okay, Miss Sustainability, like, what about this? And I think that that's a really valid point and it's definitely something worth calling out because um, there are always ways that you can improve and you need people to kind of push you and things like that. But also, I don't think that you need to be benchmarked against perfection. And if, you know, you're making those small changes and you're working towards driving things to the future, then uh, that's, that's good. That's great. Yeah, it's better than doing nothing. Exactly. And that's, so that's one of the things which I think is really important with sustainable fashion as well. And also just sustainability as a general kind of conversation and topic is that if you're benchmarking people against perfection, then you're not going to draw more people into the sustainability conversation and you're just going to alienate them. So encouraging people to make the small changes that they can make and to work towards being better um, is always better than the inverse. So one argument that I've heard from people that keep buying in brands that they know pollute a lot and have a big, even humanitarian cost, and the argument is that they can't afford sustainable brands. So what do you think about fashion not being accessible to all? I think that that's a good point and that's a really fair question and challenge because it isn't accessible to everyone to be able to go thrift shopping. Some people don't have time to do that. Um, thrift shops have been increasingly more expensive because of increased demand, which of course is, you know, it's great that people are thrift shopping more, but it is making things more expensive. So I can completely appreciate that that's not an accessible option to everyone, but I think that people can still try to think about what it is that they can do. 
you know, thrift shopping, um, loaning clothes to friends, to renting, that sort of thing, that might be an option to some people. So the people who have that option should do those things because it isn't available to everyone. So if we're all doing what we can, then hopefully that'll shift things, that'll shift the legislation, that'll shift the government decisions, that'll shift the way that brands think about things so that it is more accessible overall um, and that people can be included in the sustainable fashion movement. But the thing is that if you aren't able to afford the more expensive high-end um, sustainable brands or if you don't have time to go thrift shopping, then there are still things that you can do. Um, there are online petitions that you can sign, which don't take very much time. Um, and you could, you know, write an email to a brand that you really like and that you support. If it is a fast fashion brand, if it's H&M, you can just email them saying, I'd like to know who made my clothes. And if enough people do that, then eventually they'll hopefully be persuaded to respond and to provide more transparency in that area. And that just takes a minute and it doesn't require any financial investment. Mm -hmm. I, I like that because as I said, I've, I've heard this argument a lot from even from my friends like, oh, but I don't have like the money to buy in sustainable brands and whatever. But I like the fact that you can still do things and we should all do what we can. Exactly. Every, every small action counts. <laughs> Agreed. I just wanted to add that garment workers are mainly female. So 80% of garment workers are women between the ages of 18 and 24. And the overconsumption and the overproduction of products is adding to the stress that they're already experiencing. So there already is not collectivization. So there, you can't join unions within most of these manufacturing locations. And the situation is already quite dangerous in you know, the shops that they're working in, but also because of the tight time pressures and because of the trends, it's forcing these women primarily, but any sort of garment worker to work 16 to 18 hour days um, to get paid underneath the living wage. And I think that that's the human aspect of sustainable fashion that isn't discussed as much and really should be is the impact on these workers. And I think that there are so many brands which are advertising um, you know, female empowerment and like feel great through this brand, but are they actually implementing sustainable policies and ethical policies, which will allow women around the world to be empowered and to better themselves and bring themselves out of poverty because they're working somewhere which will pay them a living wage. And I think that that's another important aspect of sustainable fashion. It's absolutely true for every, you know, for example, last summer when the whole BLM movement was taking a lot of media coverage, we saw a lot of brands making statements and everything, but what was actually being done, you know, that's, that's a very important thing that I think our listeners should pay attention to. Like, what are brands actually doing besides, you know, posting um, a cute little Instagram story with an inspirational quote? And especially, and especially because sustainable fashion has gotten so big in recent years, I think it's easy for brands to want to say that they're moving towards a more sustainable future or um, they're implementing eco-friendly policies. But what are those eco-friendly policies? What are those sustainable policies? Are they actually measuring their impact? And are they measuring, you know, the impact on their workers? How are 
their workers faring? Are they being paid a living wage? And I think those are some key questions that would be great for them to answer. Yeah. And we always say that climate justice is social justice and the fashion industry also has that humanitarian aspect that should be talked about more. And I just wanted to remind our listeners that we have an episode on ecofeminism where we discussed how women are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis. And for time reasons, we couldn't include this aspect of the environmental crisis, fashion, and how women are also disproportionately affected here. But it's great that you've touched upon it in this episode, because I think it's, it's something really worth mentioning and for people to be able to also get more information on it. So thank you very much for all your input and for your time. And this has been a very fun conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Suggestions Corner. Hello, it's Ali, one of the members of Four Corners Project. I thought of joining today to drop by some recommendations on the complex and entangled reality of the fashion industry. So let me start by telling you a little story from my own experience. Um, it is hard to remember all those key moments that made you slowly more aware or interest on a certain topic, right? Or maybe just opening your eyes in front of a climate and social injustice issue. But in my case, I perfectly remember when was my first realization moment about the true cost of fashion. It was thanks to a Norwegian TV reality show. Well, no, wait. It was thanks to my English class in high school. I mean... Actually, it was a mix of both. But the case is that the first recommendation I have for you inspired me to do my first kind of activism towards something when I was 16 years old in front of all my classmates. So I was not a big fan of English lessons, especially because of many of them consisted in activities that involved speaking in public. Not a big fan of that. Our teacher was thrilled by presentation day, though, where we all had to explain something about ourselves and, you know, talk during half an hour, that felt like an eternity to me. That year, like every other year, I had prepared a bunch of slides uh, to speak about some hobby of mine. But a few days before, probably watching random videos on YouTube, I came across this TV program called Sweatshop Deadly Fashion. Now with a bit of perspective, it is not such a big deal, just a reality show where three young fashion influencers from a wealthy country like Norway are taken for a week to a few garment factories in Cambodia. And they experience with their own work the living and working conditions of the people who most probably make their clothes. But the reason I say it's not a big deal, it's because, as I said, it's a reality show and it only shows a small version of what really happens and the human stories behind the fabrication of our clothes. But the stories shown are real and are important as well. And watching the six episodes that, by the way, you can find in YouTube with English and Spanish subtitles, hit me strong enough to make my first English presentation with enthusiasm and without shyness. Because suddenly, I had an important thing to share with my classmates. And I recommend you to watch Sweatshop, the series, as a small introduction to the human factor that we don't usually consider when we shop. This leads me to my second recommendation of the day. And it's way more extensive in information and length. It is a podcast you can find on Spotify and other streaming platforms as well. And it's called Remember Who Made Them. Now, I'm super, absolutely, entirely in love with this project and the community and educational space it offers. You just have to visit their Instagram page to understand what I mean. The project was created in support of garment workers from around the world, and they even have a Patreon page where you can contribute as well. It was created by a group of feminists, 
and the interviews they have in every episode, uh, they have people with backgrounds in climate activism, philanthropy, art and fashion. And it's also hosted by the sustainable fashion influencer, Benicia Lamana, who I also follow and adore on a regular basis. Little disclaimer here, no, they haven't sponsored us or anything like that. I just really like the podcast. I learned so much from it. And as someone who identifies as non-influencer friendly person, I really appreciate there's people and accounts like Benicia's who are constantly sharing useful information and tips on social justice and sustainability. Okay, disclaimer's over. You can go listen to topics like life cycle of clothes, the racist problem with fashion, and different workers' stories that need to be heard. Well, I think I'm getting a bit intense here, so I feel it's time to close this section and this episode. But before that, one last recommendation, okay? Can you guess what it is? Of course, it's a documentary. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> this one is called Machines, directed by Rahul Jain. And it's equally visually stunning and hard to watch. The story is very simple and effective to me. It's just a portrait of the workers of a textile factory in Sachin, India. When we shop, it is easy not to think of the stories of injustice and exploitation behind each piece of clothing. It becomes harder when you watch films like Machines, because we all have empathy for each other, and we certainly don't want to contribute to the problem. But fast fashion is so ingrained in our lives and system that I sometimes feel it's difficult to do something about it. But then I remember that only over six years ago, I casually watched a Norwegian reality show. And today, I am a better and more conscious consumer than I was then. I value my clothes way more than I did, and although there are many other changes to keep making, of course, it is a start. I really hope you enjoy these few resources. We'll leave the suggestion list and names in the description below. Oh, and don't hesitate to share your own recommendations with us. You can reach us through our social media at Four Corners Project. This is Ali from Spain. Thank you for listening. This was Charlotte and Fernanda. We're two journalists from opposite sides of the world discussing current climate issues. Tune in for the next episode of Four Corners. In the meantime, make sure to check out our Instagram at Four Corners Project, where we'll be sharing information on the topics we discuss to make it easier and fun for you to get involved in the environmental discussion. New episode every two weeks on Thursdays.